This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. Adam, we've got a very, very special episode to wrap things up for the season. I'm delighted to say that you are well, the only attendee for the inaugural City Report End of Season Awards, where we're going to mull through some of the moments, some of the high points, some of the low points from this season, hand out some prestigious awards that literally none of these people will ever get to see or know about. And yeah, just have a, a nice bit of fun to round off what's been a, a really good season. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just now realizing that um, I have major regret over not wearing a tuxedo to this occasion. <laughs> well, I'm the sort of person who says a big middle finger to dress code. So uh, I'm, I'm sporting the new uh, next season's shirt, which arrived last week, I think it was. So it's getting a run out and oh my God, it is. It, you think it looks good on the photos. It is stunning in person. And, and that's coming from me, who is, is nothing like the the athletes that are pulling it off already so yeah really really nice shirt yeah I think it's probably going to be the first home kit I buy in the current season for a decade maybe yeah yeah me too me too I had last season's 
but that was uh, gifted to me. So this is the first, the first one that, uh, as a grown adult, I have absolutely no shame in wearing, which is superb. Um, right, okay. Then how things will work? It is pretty simple. We've had a sit down as as the academy, just the two of us, and we've decided some categories for the inaugural city reports, and we've got eight categories to hand awards out for, with both of us having a selection each. Um, anything to add before we get into it? Obviously, this is the first one of what we hope will be many to come a prestigious academy and, and i'm sure these these players and these moments will go down in history and and just make that title win a little bit a little bit better now they can pull off some of these some of these awards yeah i think the only thing to add before we get started is we had a long silent think over what to call these awards and something <laughs> more creative than the the city report end of season awards so if you're listening to this and can think of an, a more creative punny name for these awards yeah. then please tweet at us and let us know yeah well <laughs> ever the professionals here at the city report so yeah and on that actually before we get into it, obviously the usual admin of uh subscribe follow etc but if you haven't seen it already we do now have our own well it's not personal account but the, the, the podcast has its own personal account it is at city report pod it's part of the city report network there's plenty of interaction between the two accounts so head over there if you don't follow us already it just gives us a little bit more leeway a little bit more room to interact with the listeners and more questions more answers and a few funnies as well along the line so yeah we can't reveal who the admin is but uh yeah go and go and check that out if we can um right okay then let's kick things off and the way we're going to do it is we're going to adopt the the controversial ABBA penalty system which if you remember back to the Carabao Cup and I think it was 2017-18 the trial disc for I think it must have been about a season, if not if not less, it was usually like two or three times. But basically, one team takes penalty, the other team takes penalty, then that team again takes the same penalty. So that's how we're going to do it. I'm going to say one, Adam's going to say another, then he's going to do his next one, etc., etc. So if you hear us rambling a little bit, that's why. Um, you can have first dibs then, Adam, on the first category, and that is low point of the season. Starting it off, massively depressing, two grumpy old men that we are. What was your lowest point of the season? Well, I think it's worth saying we're just getting the low point out of the way so that we can have Mm. about a half hour to 40 minutes of just pure joy and comedy from here on out. Um, And I said before we hit record, I said I'm going to try and stay away from any of my award recipients coming from the final day against Villa because I went with some more hipster picks on my, my recipients um, and just, you know, everybody knows about the final day of Villa. Everybody's got kind of the same emotion. So I wanted to go a little bit different with those. However, my low point of the season, I think there are a few obvious ones out there, um, some crushing defeats, but I think the lowest I felt in this season was the first 75 minutes of the final day against Villa, particularly when that Coutinho goal went in, yeah. um, but what do you even say? You know, City had a magnificent season, most goals scored, tied for the least goals conceded, winning all but two games away from home in the Premier League, reached a second consecutive Champions League final, uh, sem- semi-final, sorry. And <laughs> and for the majority of that Villa game, particularly when Coutinho scored, it all flashed through my head in one moment. You know, mm. Liverpool snatched the title on the final day. And, you know, if they had done that, we all know they obviously would have gone on to win the quadruple. Um 
That's just you know, how it works. Yeah, city finish trophy list, and I'd have to figure out how on fucking earth I was going to cope for the for the next twelve weeks before the season starts. Um, but luckily, the 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 low point only lasted about seventy five minutes before the magical comeback. Um, but yeah, I'd have to say that was my low point of the season. Yeah, I I think it's hard to disagree with that one. It, that Coutinho goal was probably one of the most sinking feelings I've ever had in a football stadium. And apart from the, I don't know, two and a half thousand, three thousand traveling Villa fans, the silence inside that ground, the, the, the gasp, and then the sort of the audible silence, it felt funeral-like. It felt like we were there witnessing somebody getting buried and, and someone obviously being City's title chance. So I think that's incredibly hard to argue against. My, mine is different though. One thing to say is, well, we have we have conferred and we have said that we will not pick the same ones for the balance of interest and entertainment. But I, I would say this is, is one that definitely rivals it. And it's coming all the way back in February when Tottenham came to the Etihad, as they do far too often, and provide their performance of the season, nicking it in what felt like the 175th minute of added time. Harry Kane popping up at, at the South Stand end to, to give Tottenham a 3 2 win after, after Riyad Mahrez had about 30 seconds before managed to somehow get an equaliser for City. And it, it felt that game, before that game for me anyway. City are about to do what City do in seasons prior and just go on and, and win the title quite comfortably it felt you know the gap at that point felt like if we get past Spurs I actually remember listening to a Twitter space the day before going yeah you know I'm not really what people were saying they're not really, really worried looking at the numbers if City beat Tottenham which would have been tomorrow in the in the sense where it was City go on and win the league comfortably but it, it just felt like that was the first turning point in what has, the last few months has been and I remember sitting there after I think it was in a pub somewhere in Manchester thinking, scrolling through my, my Twitter feed and the tension had switched from the title was done and dusted, which for the record, it definitely wasn't. Even if City had won, there was plenty of football to play. But now the title race suddenly being on and I think Liverpool may have played Norwich that day and they actually went behind against Norwich at Anfield. So about four hours prior, people were thinking, oh, it's on, we can effectively seal the league here. And suddenly, what would it have been, eight points or something, the gap? And and yeah, that for me was a really sickening blow. You know, in isolation, the Villa game was, was everything riding on it. If City lose 2-0 against Villa early on in the season, say like, the Palace game, for example, it doesn't feel as bad. Whereas that actual game in isolation was horrific. It was such a sickening blow, like I said. And yeah, from that day on, you just knew things. It wasn't going to be a smooth ride. Yeah, I think that was just the manner of the defeat and kind of the narrative surrounding it. Um, Mm. If City just don't play well and lose the game 1-0 or 2-0, then it's like, okay, this happens from time to time with this team. But to... To come from behind, equalize late, and then to give up a stoppage time goal. And for Harry Kane to have maybe the best ever performance from a single player at the Etihad uh, on, on the opposition team, and for him to be somebody that, for all intents and purposes, that the club was hell-bent on getting last summer, um, yeah, that, that definitely made it sting a little bit more. So it was certainly one of those defeats that just the manner in which it happened, it just left a bad taste in your mouth for a while afterwards. 
Yeah, that if we're speaking about narratives with the Coutinho goal, that Harry Kane narrative was you could have seen that from a mile off, really, couldn't you? Um, yeah, like I said, we're going to use the the ABBA penalty system for our awards ceremony. So that means I'll be jumping in again with my next category and my next uh, a winner, and that's the big one. It's player of the season now. Like we said, we didn't necessarily want to just go for the obvious choices here. And I know uh, I know you, Adam, are going to go with someone who maybe is a little bit left field. But for me, there was absolutely no looking past Rodri here because, well, he's been phenomenal. And you look back to where Rodri's City career started in that absolutely horrid, horrid, horrid 2019-20 campaign where he looked at, at best five yards off the pace in most weeks and he was being dropped for Fernandinho, who was meant to come in and replace. You've then even got to the back end of last season when the Champions League final, Rodri isn't in the starting lineup. Now, could you imagine if City played in Paris this week and Rodri had been dropped? It, it, the, the transformation from the start of the season to where he is now is phenomenal. And you could probably throw in there the most improved player. You could probably throw in there the most valuable player. I think he's he's a worthy recipient of the um, player of the year for me. He's, he's obviously supreme defensive midfielder. That's his main role. But what gives him the edge for me, I think, is, is the fact he's instrumental in City's attacking play. And I don't just mean the goals, but you look at some of his passing statistics as well. He averages six progressive passes per game. He averages a completion rate of 92% for his passes per match, over two shot-creating actions per 90 minutes as well. And like I said, you add in those goals. And and those goals, it, it seems like he's got a trademark for scoring outside the box. But there's also the header, I think it was, against, was it Newcastle or, or Watford in recent weeks? Uh, Le- leads away, he had a big header, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he scored a few goals and he, he can score from all, all over the pitch. And I think we're at the stage now in the evolution of defensive midfielders where... Perhaps 10 years ago, Rodri would be playing higher up the pitch because he's, he's such a good footballer and you wouldn't have somebody sat down at a number six doing that role. But for, for Rodri, he, you add another attacker in that, that position there. And I, I think he's he, he's instrumental in what City do. And yeah, he, his season has been absolutely phenomenal for me. It has been. And I think that he probably is the worthy recipient of this award in real life from the club. Um, yeah. But, you know, a lot of a lot of guys like this don't necessarily get the praise they deserve because it's maybe a um, less sexy role. Mm. Um, But his evolution as a player from his first day at the club until now is is incredible. I mean, you talk about his evolution from the beginning of the season to the end, but you have to think back to to 2020 when when we brought him in and um there were a lot of doubts from a lot of people mm-hmm. about whether or not that he he could eventually fill the boots that Fernandinho is going to leave behind. Um, and I would say that I don't think I was one of those doubters. Uh, I think I certainly probably gave him the time that he deserved. But, you know, if you think back to the that season's Community Shield and he kind of got the runaround by, mm-hmm. by the Liverpool midfield and that can happen to anybody on any given day. But um, his evolution from the start of his city career until now has been incredible. And I think he's probably, uh, if not the best, one of the best midfielders in the world. And and that's a credit to his development and it's a credit to the club and, and Pep Guardiola for getting him that, that, that up that level. Do you know when I knew he was going to succeed? Do you know what the moment I knew he was going to succeed was? When I see him rock up, tanned as he was, 
shirt tucked in, shorts decent level, socks looking like an absolute baller, and you, that that is just my player. That that's who I very badly, I must say, model myself on when I step on a football pitch. Roy Quinho. Yeah, yeah, professor of CDM anomics. <laughs> All right, move on. (laughs) (laughs) It's your turn. It's your turn. Okay, that was my player of the year, Rodri picking up the award there. On to you, Mr. Booker, who takes home your player of the year award. Yeah, as you mentioned before, I went a little bit left field. I think for all of these categories, there's probably one or two, maybe three very obvious candidates. Um, In this, you could definitely look at Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Rodri, as you mentioned, but I have gone with Joao Cancelo as my player of the season. Um, I think we have to mention at the top that there was a bit of a tail off at the end of the season. I think that's a bit understandable when you look at the defensive injuries around him. And he was essentially covering about eight different positions uh, uh, at once by the end of the season. Um, but I think he deserves high, high praise for his season, mm. especially when you look back at the the kind of November, December, January run in which I think you could say that City won the league in that that window. He was absolutely incredible in that time. And it's not very often that a fullback shines in a team mm. that is this chock full of attacking superstars. Maybe only Trent Alexander-Arnold when you look across Europe. Um, but look, he finishes with three goals, 10 assists in all competitions. All three goals were absolute bangers if you go back and watch them. Mm. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get nerdy with some stats here. This is for this whole season compared to all of the fullbacks across Europe. He's in the top 99th percentile in total shots, top 99th percentile in passes attempted, top 94th percentile of non-penalty expected goals and assists, top 99th percentile of progressive passes and progressive carries. What do those stats tell you? He is the best attacking fullback in Europe, and it's essentially not even close. Um, you know, this newfound role at left back looks like it could be permanent. Um, and yeah, like I said, he, despite a small tail off at the end of the season and an understandable tail off, he was such a crucial cog in city's attacking machine. Yeah. I think you have to, you have to caveat that with the fact that he was covering about 17 positions across that back line and doing about 56 different roles. I, Personally speaking, I think the three players you mentioned, possibly even Riyad Mahrez, would be above him for me. And I purely say this on the back of, if you asked me at Christmas, I wouldn't have had any arguments. I'd have nodded along freely and gone, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. But for his fault or not, that tail off, I think you have to play into it a little bit. And player of the year... Yeah, I think you could make a case for him. He's done a superb job at doing that. But I just think there's... He's perhaps a month or two short, a month or two short. And I was getting very, very frustrated having to watch him at right back when when we obviously had the defensive issues there. And I, I very much am looking forward to seeing him return out to that left-hand side. And and, he, and it's taken absolutely nothing away from the season he's had. He's been superb. And he's another one, isn't he? He arrived at the same time as Rodri in, in that Danilo swap deal. And it felt for a bit Juventus had the better end of the bargain there. but. You mentioned there, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold on the right, 
Yao Cancelo on the left, they are the two best fullbacks in the world right now. And it feels like we're in a, the era of fullbacks, doesn't it? It feels like this is the the golden time to be a fullback. Going back to uh, what was it Jamie Carragher's comments? Nobody grows up to be a fullback. Well, look, Jamie, you're absolutely wrong there. So yeah, superb shout there. Um, you're going again, Adam. This is how quickly this rolls round. New oh, category yeah. for us here. We're going to go goal of the season. So you're up first, and. I feel as if maybe someone you've already mentioned recently plays a part in this as well. Yes, he does. And look, this is a this is a weird one. Somehow, City have not ended up with any goals in goal of the season compilations across all the major outlets. I just just before this watched uh, on the Premier League's YouTube channel the top twenty five goals of the Premier League season. There's only one goal in there, and it's Rodri's goal against Everton. No other goals featured. And no other city goals featured in that compilation, which has me cackling in my couch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my goal of the season, I'm actually sticking in that same game, and it's Raheem Sterling's goal against Everton. Now, this goal is a bit made by Jao Cancelo, who had the incredible outside-of-the-boot pass for Sterling to hit on the half volley. And I think Sterling's finish is a bit underrated here. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. speaks about that pass, but for Sterling to get such a clean finish when the ball bounced only like a few inches off the ground, it's sublime. And for anybody who's ever tried to just sit out on a pitch and hit half volleys, it's hard enough having the ball bounce perfectly at like thigh height, but having to hit it when it's just skimmed the grass and popped up and to put that into the corner is, mm, it was a sensual goal. Mm -hmm. And the pass is maybe the best cross for a goal I've ever seen in my life, I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, it's a bold statement. Am I right in saying that was Sterling's first goal of the season? Because he was pretty out of form. He he he'd had or at least first goal for a, for a while. Because I remember yeah. the because he, he missed just before that. If I'm going back to it, he missed a golden chance. Typically, mm-hmm. I think it would have been a back post sort of tapping that managed to ski wide and then about 10 minutes later he comes out with that finish because it it did feel like he was under a lot of pressure at that point obviously on the back of a superb European Championships with England and he was struggling Um, so yeah that that felt like a massive weight off his back and typical Sterling fashion puts away a finish like that so yeah it's it's a a, like you say the word to describe it as sort of irky and cringy as it might be is it was sensual you, you did feel the sensation when you watched that goal it, it was it was a superb one and another one that really does get the senses flowing for my pick here is and it's another popular one but it's it's difficult to look past it is Bernardo Silva's wonder team goal against Aston Villa at Villa Park I want to say December I think it was December the 1st so yeah going all the way back into the midst of that city winning run um and yeah what a goal I, i've said i've said this a few times actually in other places uh but the one thing i use to judge a goal of the season award is would i personally be able to contribute to it or replicate it and there are some of those thunder bastard strikes like rodri's versus everton which given enough time and enough chances, and I'm talking probably like a hundred chances to try and replicate this, stood on a field or in a stadium, whatever. I reckon I could probably pull it off given the circumstance and the environment. Like at least one of those I reckon would probably look something like it. But with this Bernardo Silva goal, there is not one part of that move that if I was dropped in from when City win the ball back, which I think is inside the penalty area, City's penalty area, there's not one part of that move I'd be able to be dropped in and and 
contribute to a goal there. There's actually a moment on City's commentary from, I think it's Alistair Mann. I'm, I'm hesitant to say, but I think it's Alistair Mann who does the commentary for City. And he says, Riyad Mahrez, what is he doing in the right-back position? And this is when Mahrez is jostling with two Villa players, trying to shrug them off inside City's box. And then it's played to uh, Fernandinho, who whips it out to Jesus on the right-hand side. And that cross from Jesus is pinpoint. And that absolute welly of a shot from Bernardo. Sweet, sweet strike. And yeah, it, it's it's one of those goals that, you go from one second thinking, oh shit, City could concede here, to about, what, 20 seconds later, if if not less, he's jumping up and down and going absolutely mental because it was an unbelievable goal. And just personally, I find team goals that little bit more satisfying than it's like an individual wonder strike or even you know two players combined. And as lovely as that Cancelo cross was, I always find when you have more players involved, the the difficulty level steps up a lot. Yeah, exactly. And and you go back and look at that goal and each step along the way, I feel like if if they tried to replicate that 50 times, yeah, that yeah. one of those players mishits it somewhere along the way. You know, the the Mares to yeah. get out of presser, the pressure, the Fernandinho to release Jesus down the wing and and Jesus is just like deaf little cross. I think it was Tyrone mm-hmm. Mings that was tracking back and he kind of had to put it only a few inches over over Mings's head to get it right onto the the foot of Bernardo and and Bernardo's strike. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. But uh, unfortunately for him, it's just the eleventh best goal this season according <laughs> to the Premier League. Yeah, that's bizarre, isn't it? That's really bizarre. Some honourable mentions, as you've said, Rodri versus Everton. I think you could probably have another Rodri versus Watford in there. You could probably find another Rodri goal. He's, he scored some stunners. Actually, when I was doing the, the prep for this Bernardo goal, Diaz's goal in that same game against mm. Aston Villa swept it home from outside the box, a composed finish. And and actually, um, I know we said we'll stick away from the, the Aston Villa the final day game, but if you again look at that, last Gundogan goal in isolation that Kevin De Bruyne passes in any other any other season any other world that is being spoke about for a billion years if it's just a normal goal but how on earth he finds Gundogan at the back post I don't know and and that was another another great goal um Bernardo Silva at Sport in a way as well there's been some superb superb goals this year but yeah we've gone for Raheem Sterling against Everton and Bernardo Silva against Villa I want to throw in one honorable mention, and it's another Rodri strike, but it's actually one that kind of went under the radar this year, and it's at home against Arsenal. I think probably the second game, third game of the season. Um, yes, third game. Third game yeah. after the Norwich one. And it's one of those where he just kind of passes it into the corner, but what mm. makes it special for me, and this is probably my favorite type of goal to see, it's one that curls outside of the post and back yeah, in before. Yeah. I just, it's so gorgeous to see that, especially from behind and to see it curl outside of the post and then come just kiss the post and mm. back in. I think that is such a, a good looking goal. This is quickly turning into just a Rodri fan, club, <laughs> isn't it? which I've absolutely no qualms about. Um, my turn again then, and I think another disclaimer here, it, it's we could have easily said the Aston Villa final day for this one, and, and that is game of the season. But I think Aston Villa game could have probably taken home a, cl- a clean sweep, if we're being honest. But yeah, we, we're, we're going to steer away from those. My my game of the season then, and it's coming right back at the beginning of the season. And it's Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge. Um, I'm going to take I'm going to take you on a journey back in time, and and City had endured 
a pretty torrid opening day away to Tottenham Hotspur. Typically, we've spoken about the home game, go right all the way back to the start of the season, that 1-0 defeat, you know, who else? Young Min Son, um, patched up City team after the Euros. It was it was miserable. A few 5-0 wins followed before a really, really painful 0-0 draw at home to Southampton, which I think probably could have got an honourable mention for low points of the season because... You, that was probably the moment Pep Guardiola goes, yes, we need a striker, because that the chances spurred that day was was awful. Um, but the entire feeling for me, I don't know about you, Adam, but for me it felt like this just wasn't going to be a title-winning season for City. It felt like there was one or two pieces that were lacking. City could potentially target the Champions League, but in terms of fighting at the top, it just wasn't going to be. And one of those reasons was because of how well Chelsea were playing. And and when City travelled to Stamford Bridge in September, Chelsea had won all but one of their matches so far in all competitions that this season. And that being away to Liverpool at Anfield, they were title favourites at that point. They had an inform. I know this sounds like a, an oxymoron a little bit, but they had an inform Lukaku at that point who looked to be scoring for fun at the start of the campaign. And City's back line was, was shaky, to say the least. Chelsea didn't have a shot on target, though. They, they didn't get close to City. City dominated from the off, took home a 1-0 win, Gabriel Jesus with the goal. And that, it really could have been about three or four on another day. But the bit that I like most about it, I suppose it's a little bit selfish, was it was my first away game post-COVID. You know, Chelsea fans adamant before the game that they're going to win the league. This was their time. Champions of Europe taking all the stick. Champions of Europe, you'll never sing that, etc., etc. And that just felt like a turning point for the rest of the season. A little bit like it did in 2017-18 when City went there and just blitzed them from the off Kevin De Bruyne scoring that day and City love a statement victory at the bridge and that was as good as any I think I can remember it was and you know it's worth mentioning that heading into that week that was the week in which City played Chelsea on the Saturday PSG away on the Wednesday and then Liverpool away on this on the Saturday or Sunday after that and that was a, a week in which a lot of us were going into that thinking we're going to learn about this team this week. And, and if they come out of this, you know, on the losing end of two or three of these games, then uh, we could be in for a rough season, especially mm-hmm. like you mentioned that Southampton game had, had come right before it. Um, but to go to Stanford bridge, control the game like that. And um, there were some real together moments, the, the Ruben mm-hmm. Diaz block on, I think it was Lukaku yeah. where he came yeah. flying in to block a shot Um and I think that was one of those moments in which you sat and you watched the celebrations with the with the away end after. And I think that was the, the first time Ruben Diaz did his now classic um, shirtless with the captain's armband yeah, around yeah, his, I was his arm. Say that, yeah, um, and that that felt like a moment that like okay, this team, you know, the Liverpool are here. United were around the top of the table yeah, at that time. That's true. Um, Chelsea were essentially invincible at that time, and and it was like. You know we're the champions. Don't forget about us. And and this was in a time. Remember when when the ESPN UK account tweeted the the uh, the top three standings when it was Liverpool, United, and Chelsea tied on yeah. thirteen points, and and City yeah. just weren't even in discussion as a as yeah. a title contender at the time. And yeah, fantastic day. That's crazy to think, isn't it? When we've endured the City Liverpool chat for so long, and just how quickly things change, you do forget. Um, but yeah, that, that that was a brilliant day, really, really good day in London, and, and there's many more. Um, Adam, then your your game of the season, what what are you picking? Yeah, there was a lot of, like I said, I think there's a 
a few obvious candidates. You had a great one. The the Villa day was uh, final day against Villa was great. Um, you know, maybe there's the the Atletico home leg, even though it was mm-hmm. a tough tough game. It was a it end up being a great win. But I've gone all the way back to November, and it's City's two one home win against PSG in the the group stage of the Champions League, and. It was just one of those days where, you know, we as we as City fans have struggled to get into the Champions League, especially the group stages in years past. Um, but, you know, this this game had all the makings of a classic heading into it. City needed to win to ensure top spot in the group. You've got, you know, Messi and Neymar and Mbappe coming to town. and um, You know, PSG went up 1-0 shortly after halftime and, and City stepped on the gas from there, scored two goals in 13 minutes and turned it around and won the group on the night. Um, it was only a group stage game, but it was one of those European nights that kind of gets the fan base into it a little bit more and, you know, beating one of the best sides in Europe. And, um, I just remember it feeling way bigger than just a Champions League group stage game. And, uh, the the crowd was up for it. Um, yeah, it was just, it felt like one of those big Champions League nights, which let's be honest, we haven't had many of those and we want to have more of those down the line. Um, yeah, it was, I thought it was a fantastic game. Yeah, strange one this. Strange one this for me because I didn't go to any of the Champions League group stage games with due to work commitments. I remember watching that game up until City equalised thinking, oh, I don't really care about this. Like, it's, you know, City's still going to qualify and it's, everything's going to be fine. There's not going to be any issues here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously when City came back, it was it was jubilant. It was incredible. It essentially put City in top spot. But there's still something for me about Champions League group stage games, which I don't know. I just, I, I can't get, I, I, you know, I, I do like the Champions League. I do, I do really enjoy it. And the knockout stage is fantastic. I prefer the league as, as we all do. But there's just something about Champions League group stage, which I think the lack of jeopardy, makes it um like it bounces out I don't know but but as you say that that game was was really really good and I went back and watched the highlights and and yes it will be another one of those that I think City are getting plenty and there's been plenty this season as well you know classic Champions League nights at the Etihad which for a long time they, they didn't exist um yeah we'll, we'll keep things moving then and we've got one that's a little bit similar but different in the same sense next and it's moment of the season now this probably is a chance to to sort of make things a bit more personal than the match of the season and and once again you're up first here Adam so take it away yeah it is a bit different than the game of the season um and for my selection I've gone with what kind of turned out to be a pretty ugly game but a fantastic moment and that was Rodri's winner at the Emirates on New Year's Day um you know, City were 1-0 down at halftime. They were thoroughly outplayed. Um, but a second half sending off from, from Granite Jack let City back into it. And then the man of the hour, the man of this podcast, Rodri, <laughs> steps up and he stabs home a winner with the last kick of the game. And look, the, he scores down at the end where the City fans are in the corner. And he could have ran over to the, to the away <laughs> end, which was, which was going insane at the time. But he runs to the opposite corner rips his shirt off and then just starts screaming in Spanish and, and gesticulating at the Arsenal fans in the yeah. corner. He, he basically jumped into the terraces at the Emirates yeah. to celebrate. And this moment was perceived as so disrespectful that you can't even see it on City's highlight reel anymore. <laughs> if you go and watch that goal in their, their, um, their every goal of the season compilation that they yeah. do, 
you can watch all of the celebrations of all of the goals except for this one. And that just shows you how cold-blooded it was from Rodri. And that was not only was it a great moment and a great moment for for banter and blah, 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 blah. But it was a huge moment in the season. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it was one of those games with the cliche like that's how titles are won is mm. the, the team is not playing the best on the day, but they come back and they have this huge moment and, and to celebrate like that. And I was going absolutely nuts in my house when he, when he won mm. that. And, and like I said, the celebration made it 10 times better. Yeah, it was, it was new year's day, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I remember it wasn't at the game, but I remember waking up about, would have been about 15 minutes in and it's when Edison uh, so, so it's the first time I think ever I've I've overslept for a city game which is a little bit different for you obviously with the kickoff times but for me there's no excuse but I was that rough um waking up was a challenge in itself but it was when Ed- Edison was sliding in I can't remember who he, who he brought down but Odegaard yeah yeah correct and I'm thinking this is a penalty here and and in my hungover days, I was bemused to find out it hadn't been given. And then obviously, as we get on the game, Arsenal do what Arsenal do, City come back, Mahrez penalty, and, and that it just it, it was never coming. There was a ne- there was never a winning goal there for City and Rodri popping up with a clinical striker's finish. Some of the items that were being thrown at him though, which I think is what immortalizes this, because mm. who on earth has a full carton of chips or, or fries to do the translation at 90 minutes in a football game like who sat there but presumably they got it at half time for 45 minutes and not touched one of them that's there lunacy. was a lot of there was a lot of toilet paper as well wasn't yeah, there yeah. like full full rolls as if people are just yeah. bringing out unopened rolls of toilet yeah. paper out of their oh, back pocket was, and and the best bit about this um we won't name names but the reaction from uh an arsenal supporting podcast after this which I, I have no I have no issue with Arsenal. Um, they're one of the teams that I like to see do well. I was gutted they didn't get the Champions League. But that was gold dust. That was utter gold dust. And how brilliant it was that, that City managed to turn a football club of Arsenal stature into, into a laughing stock like that. Um, right, OK. My turn then for moment of the season. And... As two professionals in the sports media world, we do like to maintain a sense of credibility throughout this podcast, obviously, with the guests we bring on and the the conversations we have and the topics we touch on. So I can only apologise for the nosedive that's about to take in the next couple of minutes because, drum roll please, my moment of the season is... John Stones' overlapping runs at right back. Now, we first saw this. <laughs> we first saw this against Brentford at home all the way back in early February because we knew Kyle Walker was missing for the Champions League knockout games due to suspension. So to combat that, Pep Guardiola thought it'd be best to give John Stones practice at right back against Brentford. Now, when the team news drops, I think we could have all imagined where it was going, but nobody inside the stadium or watching across the world would have ever imagined the overlapping runs from John Stones. And I think what followed was was one of the best displays of someone who looked so fantastically out of place doing something they thought they were good at for 90 minutes or so. And, and the sole reason, more than any, you knew it was just plain shit was because at full time in Pep's post-match press conference, he spent about five minutes praising Stones' performance in that like trademark condescending Pep Guardiola manner, which you're like, you do not believe a word you're saying here, Pep. But the funniest thing is, fast forward to the end of the season and 
everyone was begging John Stones to be fit enough to play right back, given the the situation and the injuries we had there. So it went full circle. But yeah, just watching John Stones trying to overlap it right back, and it was almost like someone was watching in slow motion at times. But it was it, that that is above everything, above the last minute title wins, above the last minute goals, above the Champions League knockout. That is my moment of the season. I thoroughly appreciate that selection. I, I think it's equally as funny as watching him play inverted fullback and coming in and trying to link up with Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> yeah. and he's just yeah. so long and lanky. And he's yeah. look, he's great on the ball. Um, but yeah, 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 it's hilarious to watch him join an attack. And when you, I'd love to see a side by side of Kyle Walker making an overlapping run and, <laughs> and John Stone making an overlapping run and trying to figure out like, why is the one on the right side of the screen in slow motion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was ages and ages and ages ago. Nike, it might have been, did a, a promotional campaign where I think it was Ronaldo had a race against the cheetah. Or I may have just imagined that, but that's what Puma needs to do next, isn't it? To, to prove that, uh, or whoever Kyle Walker's boot manufacturer is, just get him to be having a race against John Stones. Um, getting down to the final few now, then, and next on the list is underrated player of the season. I think this possibly might be where things get a little bit controversial. Um, another disclaimer, we had a chat about how we were going to define the word underrated because it can be a little bit of a buzz term in football. And, and we said we wouldn't go for players who were who were overlooked in the sense of like maybe Nathan Ake or Alexander Zinchenko because, yes, they are technically underrated, but we're going to do it in relative to their quality or their importance to City's team. So. With that in mind, my underrated player of the season is actually someone who has only missed, I think, maybe one or two, and, and and that's Edison. And I'll tell you why, because there is no goalkeeper in world football right now who is a better fit for the way City play than Edison. And, and not even Alisson, who I think for the record is probably a better all-round goalkeeper. And a lot of the conversation in recent weeks, particularly quite bizarrely, after the Champions League final, which didn't include City, in that, or Edison himself, was about how unreliable Edison is. And City, there was people were saying City should look elsewhere for a number one, but don't get me wrong, there, there were occasions this season towards the back end, particularly where I've looked at chances City have conceded and gone, yeah, potentially Edison can do a little bit better there. But when you boil it down to it, Edison's won three straight Premier League Golden Gloves. You couple that with his ability, which I think is the key point here, to contribute to City's build-up play. And like I said, there is absolutely nobody who who is better for that role. And for that reason, I'd make the case from being criminally underrated. I totally, totally agree. And I genuinely would love to hear from the morons out there who think City <laughs> need to look elsewhere for a goalkeeper. I'd love to hear who they believe would be better for City. Of course, mm-hmm. there are better shot stoppers out there. There's quite a few, but that's essentially not his role in this team Mm. um you're not going to find anybody more cold-blooded more calm on the ball I mean just just look at the the both of the games against Liverpool this year in which he let the ball run across his own goal line before clearing it out very calmly so yeah I have no time for it um typically when I see a bit of Ederson slander it's straight to the mute button (laughs) <laughs> that's a good way to deal with it. And you mentioned Liverpool uh, nonsense there. Twofold here. What happened to Zach Steffen the week after? And, you know, 
that shows his quality. But also, if you ask Liverpool fans, what's it like watching Alisson play out from the back? And they'll, they'll probably say twitchy, nervy. Or, you know, they'll probably say he's the best in the world at it. That, let's be honest, that's probably where they'll go with it. But if you ask a level-headed Liverpool supporter what it's like watching Alisson play out from the back, you know, they'll say there's issues. So... For for me, Edison is is crucial in the same way that Rodri's crucial, in the same way De Bruyne is crucial, and and yeah, it's a better shot stopper, of course, there is, but you can't play with two goalkeepers at the same time. Um, go on then, Adam, your underrated player of the season. Not only is he the underrated player of the season, but I think he is the underrated player of this era, and that is Kyle Walker, who is the perennial underrated player in this city side. In my opinion, he is the best signing made in the Pep Guardiola era. And there have been some fantastic, fantastic signings. He seems to get stick for being a one-trick pony, you know, using his pace to recover and defend. And maybe he isn't the best uh, with the ball at his feet compared to some of the other fullbacks like Zinchenko or Giaconcello. Fine. Um, But if you just look at how important he is in the way that City play, the way that he can recover with his speed, the way that he can defend one-on-one, the way that he can provide overlapping runs to the byline to let players like Riyad Mahrez, Raheem Sterling, players like that to cut inside. He is so, so crucial to the way that City play football. And just some stats. You know, I think that probably in the last 12 months, only Rodri has been more irreplaceable in this City side. And I think we take that for granted with Kyle Walker because he's not an attacking player. He doesn't tend to get injured very often, so we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. see what City are like without him. But at the end of the season, we saw that. And look, in the final seven games of the season, in which Kyle Walker only played 72 minutes, and that was the kind of half-fit 72 minutes at the Bernabeu in the second Mm -hmm. leg, City conceded 10 goals in those seven games. In the previous seven, which was his final seven games of the season, he played 523 minutes. City only conceded three goals. There was games against United, Liverpool, Sporting, and the Champions League in in that run. That That's an incredible difference. Seven goals is an incredible mm. difference in that run of games. And that just shows you how important he is to this team. And um, I don't quite understand how he doesn't get as highlighted by the rest of the footballing world for his abilities at fullback. I think you can probably say it's because he's not like a Trent Alexander-Arnold or a Jalconcello that can step in and essentially play like a 10. He is a bit more of a classic fullback, if you will. You know, he's pacey. He gets up and down uh, out wide. He doesn't tend to come in as an inverted fullback that often. But there's a reason that Gareth Southgate picks him over the extremely talented players that England has at right back mm. in, in recent years. And I know I don't, I don't think he got the last call up, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think he is so underrated by not only the general football world, but city fans as well. Yeah. He, he's, he's in the most recent squad for the nation's league. He didn't get the the last one back in, when was that March? Uh, he was given a rest, but, um, but yeah, he, he's absolutely phenomenal. He really is phenomenal. And I think he's that sort of player who you only appreciate when he's not there. And I think another one you can throw in there is probably John Stones, who had his own injury problems. But you mentioned City conceding at the end of the season. He didn't actually concede, or City didn't concede whilst he was on the pitch against Real Madrid during that entire tie. What was yeah. it? Six goals, I think it was? No, 
I can't even remember. It's that bloody hazy in my mind. But he, the City didn't concede against Real Madrid whilst he was on the pitch. So he's definitely one of those players who has gone massively under the radar. And, you know, uh, sorry, not City. England have a wealth of right-back options. City definitely don't have a wealth of right-back options. But England do, and Alexander-Arnold, Rhys James, etc. I'd have I'd have Kyle Walker above them purely because he's he's a a better all-rounder and there's nothing to say Alexander Arnold or Reese James won't go on to eclipse that but I actually think when you look back at some of the players England have had there obviously my experience being a little bit uh, more more wealthy than yours at watching England and I'd have him above the likes of Gary Neville I genuinely think Kyle Walker is a better has been a better player for the Premier League than someone like Gary Neville and and when he leaves I think he could potentially, his exit could cut deeper than some of the more bona fide legends we've seen depart in the last few years. And you would, what, say another two years potentially of Kyle Walker at the top level. And yeah, I think that could really be one that, that does harm City, both in the dressing room and on the pitch, if, if a replacement isn't already in place before then. Um, right then, I think this is the penultimate category and it's new story of the season. These these last two, I suppose, where they start getting a little bit wavy, and we've had the we've had the the serious stuff. This is where we start looking into some of the more nonsense of the campaign. So yeah, what was your new story of the season, Adam? Yeah, I, this was an easy one for me, and this was, and maybe this doesn't count as this season because it was in the transfer window leading into this season, but it was the 48 hours in which Cristiano Ronaldo was <laughs> nailed on to sign for Manchester City Football Club. You know, so much so much has happened this season. I feel like we forget that yeah. City were, were essentially nailed on to sign him from Juventus in the summer. You know, we've signed Holland, we've signed Alvarez, and Jack Grealish came in for $100 million and all of that stuff kind of overshadowed this absolute bizarre nutcase of a transfer rumor that had a lot of legs. You know, there was rumors that Ronaldo's agent, uh, George Mendez, was meeting with the city hierarchy and uh, that the personal terms were agreed and the salary was agreed and blah, 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 blah. And the ensuing 48 hours in which it looked like he was all but guaranteed to be wearing the sky blue kit this season was maybe the greatest 48 hours I've seen on the internet, particularly from the red side of Manchester. Yeah, yeah. There was think pieces. There was rants from <laughs> YouTube fan accounts. I It was the first time in my life where I sat down and I watched the Stretford Paddock for about two hours. <laughs> and they, they were, for hours, just speaking about, like, coping with this and how they, how they compartmentalize his... his his legendary status at the club to potentially coming in and winning winning a Premier League or a Champions League with City. And I, there's a picture somewhere on Twitter, I probably have deleted it by now, but there is a picture that I took of myself where I could not stop smiling. It was on, it was like I was on drugs, just sitting and wa- my, my, my smile just would not go down sitting and watching these people's minds combust over the, the thought of Cristiano Ronaldo signing for City. And I thank God every single day, I don't believe in God, but I thank God every single day that he did not sign for the club, but those 48 hours were gold. Oh, it was superb. It was really superb. It was weird, wasn't it? There was the contrast in emotions. Obviously, City missed out on Harry Kane. And um, you say it, it doesn't count as this season, but the season had started. Um, it was because I remember going to Arsenal the next mm. day, and 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 the sort yeah. of, and, and there was another news story that that will not be mentioned for for well, legal and 
moral reasons that broke the same day. But yeah, it, it was contrasting the fact that obviously he was a United legend and, and Ronaldo's personal life isn't necessarily one that is the cleanest. I think you're fair in saying and sort of balancing that uh, across the footballing argument and then the best part of all and and it's even better because he didn't turn up at the club and we didn't have to endure the 37 year old sort of lacklustly running around a pitch trying to press but like I say the United fans in utter meltdown but then when United pulled off the signing and they were they, they announced him and the furore because it went straight into an international break. He didn't actually play for two weeks or so. And the nonsense that was being banded about, about United are back, United are back, you know, the club's back, blah, 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 only for them to finish sixth again with <clears throat> a goal difference that didn't even reach positive numbers was... It, 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 forget the title. That 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 was that is why we support this football club. And these these are the glory days. Seeing United because even still Ronaldo scored loads of goals. Like I dread to think what they would have been like without his goals. And it's a paradox, really, because he makes them a worse football club. So yeah, that was magical. I I think that you could say that City won a double this year and Liverpool won a <laughs> treble. And that third trophy for both of those two clubs is the fact that United finished with a goal difference of zero. Yeah, that that will be taught in schools in the Greater Manchester uh, era, area going forward. Um, yeah, my new story then is a little bit different. It's it's more, I suppose, City-related. And it's, it's Jack Grealish being denied entry to Albert Schloss, which is a bar on Deansgate in Manchester, for supposedly being too drunk. Um, I think this comes as, as well back in uh, late January or early February. And the fallout this caused was mind-blowing. It really, really was astonishing. The amount of old, wrinkly men on Twitter who were furious at the fact footballers go out on their days off, how dare they go out, was was perhaps... It, it really was superb. And, and again, another sarcastic Pep comment when he found out saying that he's going to find them because he didn't invite them out with him. And, and actually, funny story for me here. Around that same time, I started doing a little bit of freelance work for a website covering news stories. And this one popped up as it does. And the editor sent it across saying, can you do something on this saying how Pep Guardiola is going to find Jack Grealish because he went out? And he passed me the quotes. I'm like, have you actually read this? Because I think it may have even been my first day there. And I was I was battling with him, trying to say, no, Guardiola does this. He says sarcastic things. Jack Grealish isn't getting a fine. And he was like, no, you need to you need to write about how Jack Grealish is going to be fined by Pep for going out. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's lit read it. Um, but yeah, he, he was a strange bloke and I didn't I didn't stay there very long. But but on a wider scale, <laughs> I just love how Jack Grealish has brought a human side to the dressing room. And it may be, you know, he's like I've said it before, he's a footballer from a bygone era and he, he's not cut from the same cloth of some of City's other players and we saw that um a couple of weeks ago with the with the trophy celebrations and there's that video as well there's the human side of it where there's that young girl i think she's called abby who's in a wheelchair he met before a game and and fast forward a few weeks after that he's invited her and her family to watch a match in his box with them and they're exchanging presents and it's, it's really really heartwarming stuff and i've never met him I don't know, I might meet him one day, but it's, I've not got any plans to meet him yet. But I, I genuinely would take a bullet from him because I think he's such an incredible person, even if he does enjoy a piss up every now and again. Well, who doesn't? Well, exactly. Yeah, that's why. That's that's probably why. That's probably why. Um, yeah. Look, it was a it was a really funny story, and qu- uh, the the pep quotes made it even funnier. Um, yeah. 
it was it was pretty hilarious to to see big outlets try and spin this into some mm. sort of negative story when it was just funny all around. Um, but yeah, like you said, Grealish is is what what appears to be a fantastic human being, and uh, we we had a long conversation about this on last week's episode about how the club is is done a very good job at bringing in mm. fantastic human beings, and um, here's to a few more years of tabloid stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it keeps them interested, then then what can we say? Um, now we're on to the last one, and and as the format I said, I would usually go here, but I'm actually going to use my host privileges to spin this round, and I'm going to get you to go first in our last category. So it's a little bit of a different one. It's not actually about this season. I don't know if you can class it as an award. Possibly, we'll we'll let the judges be the decider of that. But it's what we're most looking forward <laughs> to as City supporters. In, in the run-up to next season. So, simple one, what are you most looking forward to ahead of next season? I think it's a pretty easy answer, and I think it's the next revolution of this side uh, under Pep Guardiola. You know, we've seen this a few times now with, you know, he comes in and, and he inherits a, squ- a fairly old squad, and he, he goes on a big spending spree and gets the guys in that he wants to get in, and you know, we see the first iteration of his side. And, and then, mm. you know, we, we've probably seen, I would say, three different Pep Guardiola sides and not in the sense of the players have changed, but the, the style of play has changed mm. from, you know, all, gun, all guns blazing attack to a bit more pragmatic with the 2018-19 team to, you know, the, the uber-controlled team that we've seen in the last few seasons. And I think another change could be on the horizon, especially with Erling Holland coming in, Julian Alvarez coming in. Um, there's some talks of some pretty major outgoings, perhaps like Raheem Sterling. Um, there's been rumors of you know Gundogan leaving, um, Gabriel Jesus possibly leaving, and there's some more pretty pretty uh, high quality players rumored. I guess you could say mm-hmm. like Mark Cucurella and, and Calvin Phillips, and um, I think we're probably in the midst of another revolution and these revolutions aren't huge. They're, they're little tweaks here and there, but mm. um, I'm just looking forward to seeing kind of, you know, what comes next because I think that um, it's going to look, it's going to look a lot different next year. Yeah. The, the more sort of like peaceful revolutions and, and rather than absolute overhauls, aren't they? Um, it, it is interesting. You mentioned there the evolutions of the squad because you you think back to it and and City's first title winning campaign. You've got like David Silva playing midfield. You've got Vincent Company who was sort of irreplaceable at one point in that in that position. And you fast forward to even a couple of years later, those players probably don't even get in the team. You, you know, perhaps even at the peak, someone like Vincent Company wouldn't have been suited to one of Manchester City's title winning campaigns. So it, it is testament to the genius of Guardiola and the way the 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 continuation of success rolls on. And I think one thing I've echoed a few times is when you're at the top, the biggest mistake you can make is to stand still. And I actually go back to 2012-13 when City just won the league for the first time under Mancini. And perhaps Mancini's biggest flaw as City manager, his biggest mistake was that that summer window where there was only one or two players, I think it, it may be Scott Sinclair, Maicon and Javi Garcia were brought in along with uh, Matteo Nastasic and they're not players who were going to improve the team, they were just squad players and City had a massive drop off and United once again took the crown if we'd have seen that again this year, you know one or two players who would come in and, and sort of cover rather yeah. than challenge for first uh, first team positions 
Liverpool probably over jump City. They, they may do, yeah. We'll wait and see. But yeah, I think those those little signings are crucial to just keeping your nose in front and keeping ahead. And I'm not saying it will be like a 110-point season. I don't think it, it will be, but just making sure you're constantly improving. Um, mine then, what am I looking most forward to ahead of next season? Well, pretty important for me. This quite quite personal, quite an emotional one. Um, and it's never, ever, ever having to watch City play in that third kit without a badge ever again. That's it. I I don't even have words to say. I com- <laughs> I just completely completely agree. <laughs> that's that's it. Like what what else do you have to say? The fact one of uh, and it didn't necessarily get a mention in one of our low points because I think we've covered the relationship with the Champions League and the league and whatnot. But that Real Madrid game, the fact that one of City's some would say darkest hours in recent memory came in that kit is everything you need to know about it. It should be, every every single person who owns it should hand it into authorities and just let it be burned as if it's a pandemic because that cannot be let, that cannot be seen to be let out in the wild ever again. Just from the, from the moment it was released, you just knew something like that was going to come. Let me ask you this. Would you have found it worse if we had won something big in it? Oh my God. And that was immortalized forever. Because it's a bit like when we when we did the the kit special with the main road ramble lot, we I spoke about the um, playoff kit in nineteen ninety nine and the fact at the time that wasn't revered as it is now, and it's probably one of City's most iconic kits. But that was again another one of being sort of forgotten forever. So oh, I don't know. Would I ever have seen City win the Champions League? Probably just about. You balance it off, don't you? But I don't know. That that is a terrible, terrible kit. I think I prefer us losing in it <laughs> so that everything associated it's, it's a, with it is negative. It's a completely logical answer, and I don't think anyone can have any disappointment in you saying that. It's it's bottom tier. It's below bottom tier. It's on a tier of its own, and, and thank God we never, ever, ever have to see that again. But, but yeah, that's a nice way to wrap up the award ceremony in, in, in typical City fashion. It's it's on a on a negative note after what was a superb season. But yeah, that, that, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun and definitely we'll be doing that again. As for what's coming up then, um, we're going to take a couple of weeks break. We're probably going to have a few holidays. Obviously, Adam, you're moving across the country, which will be an absolute mammoth. How, how long's the drive? Is it like 24 hours or something? 42 like that? hours. <laughs> And, that, and I'm guessing that's not all at once. I think you could drive to South Africa in that time. Jesus, that that's petrifying. I'm, that's not true. I, I totally made that up. But I bet well, you, you wouldn't. Could. I bet you could get to somewhere in Africa from from oh, your yeah, house comfortably. Comfortably, yeah. I think it's only like 17 to front uh, to, to the tip of Spain or something like that. Um, yeah, that that's horrific. That's really bad. I'm not envious of you at all. I'm, I'm hoping to get away sometime in the summer but uh the the last decision where we go is on my girlfriend's shoulders but i'm trying to hold out for the europa conference league draw and just try and wrangle in some far-flung middle eastern club to go and drag her along to so yeah we'll wait and see but yeah we're, we're gonna have a couple of weeks off we're gonna take some break but yeah massive massive thank you to anyone who's listened to us since we started this back in january now it's been it's been superb and and yeah new season new shows hopefully some new guests some of the old people we've had obviously oliver and alex have, have joined us throughout the season and along with the main road ramble guys as well so yeah plenty to look forward to in the new campaign yeah, I I want to echo that that appreciation from Amos that I think, you know, just to reveal kind of behind the curtain a bit that 
when we first started this show, I don't, I think we would have imagined everybody that would be listening would, could fit into this room I'm sitting in right now. But, um, there's, there's, uh, hundreds and hundreds of you guys that listen every single week and that's incredible. So thank you so much for tuning in every week and, uh, interacting with us on Twitter and yeah, we'll be coming back this transfer window and for next season with, with some new content, new guests and yeah, looking forward to it. Which is a nice segue and a reminder as well. If you haven't already, head over to at City Report Pod on Twitter, which is our own personal. Well, like I said again, it's not our personal Twitter account, but it's the podcast personal Twitter account, and we'll be throwing out plenty of polls, plenty of questions whilst we're away for a few weeks, and then as the new season comes, plenty of news out there. So yeah, go and follow that as well. Subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're listening along on. If you're new hit a five-star rating as well. That'll be superb. Any negative comments, send them to Adam Booker on Twitter. I have been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. It's been an absolute pleasure. And until next time, see you later. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.